Okay, now shit's getting captured. Um, okay. Yeah, man, I just... Damn, where do I start? You were totally right about how um, the second part really focuses on the victims' families. Like, yeah, you were not you were not fucking kidding about that handoff. Nope, no, I wasn't. And I was wondering why they were trying to kind of pitch this series as like, yeah, don't hate it so much because we're focusing on the victims. And I thought I didn't get that in the first one through five, but in, in six specifically, the one with Tony, mm-hmm. I was like, I liked it. And I just kind of wish that they had kind of done more of that in the beginning. That way, you know, not that backlash matters, but I think looking at the overall intent and trying to appreciate it for a body of work for what they were saying that it was, it would have been nice for it to have been like six and seven all the way through. Yeah, it's certainly, um, uh, I, I like these episodes, but taking it, as a whole, it's a little schizophrenic. Yeah, right? It, it's it's almost like two seasons that are just sort of joined. Yeah, you're right. Mm-hmm. Something. Like, there's, it's, um, it's not, like, totally out of left field because it's all a part of the same story. Right. But it's, if I was watching this all in one go, I think I would have found it more jarring. Mm-hmm. The, the fact that I watched this in two discrete parts meant that it kind of, it felt like a clean break, but I can tell, like, if I'd watch this all in one go, going from five to six, it would have, uh, five to six is a little less because we're focusing on Tony so much. Like, the shift, I think the shift really happens between, like, six and seven. Yeah, because seven is where we pick up with um, Glenda. So this is where I can kind of, like, almost namely say, these. this is how you do a handoff story where, obviously, you know, from the way we've been watching it, it was a story about Jeffrey Dahmer. But once we get to like about six, we see like, oh, now we get to delve into Tony. And then when we get to seven, I'm like, oh, we're handing off the story, which is what they kind of should have built it on. What's your thoughts on that? Uh, that would have been an interesting series. I would have been interested to to have seen mm-hmm. that, you know, if Dahmer had just been sort of like a, you know, even in a, um, like a, a series that was more focused on the victims and had a lot of handoffs. Mm-hmm. Um, I think in in such a hypothetical series, maybe like the first episode still should have been Dahmer centric to give the context right, of like just the first episode. Though. This is, this is our dude. This is how he operates. This is the kind of stuff that he does. Mm-hmm. But then like after episode one, you, I mean, I enjoyed the episodes, mm-hmm. but in theory, you did not need any of the going into Dahmer's backstory. Right. You, he could have just been like a force of nature. It sort of lurking in the background and, each individual episode could have like focused on a different one of the victims. I agree. I like the way you use the word force of nature because I'm going to probably get into how I feel as though he thinks he is or how the mini series depicts him as being like a chaotic force of nature, mm-hmm. which he calls himself. Like he calls one of his games, the void or something. The vortex. Yeah. The board game. Yep. 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 That's, I was like, Wow. I wish I could have had like the with the fucking wishbones as pieces. Jeez, <laughs> but um, I even to... like even if he wasn't Dahmer, that would be weird. Why why would you use chicken bones for game pieces? I mean, if you if we hadn't built upon him already deconstructing living things, I would have really thought it was strange. Um, unless it was something like, hey, I collected the bones from when we had Thanksgiving, but we all kind of feel like you know collectively that's probably like well, it was too small to be like a, a bone of an ant, like a human. But some type of animal. No, no, that was definitely that was definitely like a chicken bone or something. Yeah, but either way, like um, but like it's, it's unless like, yeah, it, unless you're really poor, that's the scenario in yeah. which that is like, oh, I totally get it. Like you're making do with what you got. Good right. on you. But but like other than that, throw that in anything. He just shows bones. Yeah. what a weird yeah thing. It's like an icing on the cake thing. Welcome to Jonathan and Carl Watch Everything. We're doing episode two, part two of Dahmer season one, or whatever the fuck it's called. We might need to take have a take two for that one because I wanted to slide in that I did not finish the last episode because I had already watched it all the way through. So I didn't mm-hmm. watch it taking notes, but I have it. 
but I will let you lead from about midway through nine to 10. Okay, that's totally fine. Uh, no, no, no take two. We're going to leave all that in. <laughs> We're doing it live. So I'm not cheating. I watched it already. I watched it all the way through. I'm the one that suggested this show, so we're good. It's fine. It's fine. You you watching it is just a refresher for you to remind right, you of exactly bits right. and pieces. Like, you've already fucking seen this shit. Yeah. Um, and you, you saw it recently. Recently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So let's, let's backtrack a bit. Episode six. First off, mm-hmm. fucking love this episode. This is... I think that I think that might be my favorite episode of the whole series, actually. Tell me about it. Like, I wanted to really dive into the music, but this is like our like almost like a hot take of the episode. We're not going to do like a super deep dive like in our other podcast of the past. But I just have to make mention that whether you heard it or not, have the reference of mind or not. But this whoever did the soundtrack for this particular episode, when we open up with Tony, we start out with a song that is by one of the people on RuPaul's Drag Race. Her name is Michelle Visage. And she was in a group back then. And I forget the name of the song. I want to say it was Two of Us or just a two. No, it, it takes two. It takes two to make the things go right. So I was like, wait a minute, where have I heard? Oh, yeah, that's that song because she also has written a song. I think that song is on the Bodyguard soundtrack with Whitney Houston. Anyway, to the point, this song, the way it sounds and the way we have to go in and out of being able to hear people talk gets you prepped and primed for Tony, the character and the real life person, obviously, in this particular episode who is deaf. And I'm like, I love this. And it was just the song took me back to the 80s. It's the, the, the crux of my point. It, every song that they had with certain scenes with him and Tony, especially in the club, it was just so reminiscent of like that feel of the 80s that people love. Like people harp on the 80s for being like ugly or stupid colors, but there was some really good, beautiful moments in the 80s and music was one of them. So Yeah, number one note on this episode, the very first thing I wrote down is love the sound choices. Yes, it was so good. Just in particular, I was a I was a big fan of the the sound fading in and out. Like that's just that's a really yeah. great effect. Mm-hmm. And it was used like just the right amount. It wasn't so much that it was distracting mm-hmm. but it was it was enough that it was like sort of omnipresent yeah the dude who plays tony he's fucking great yeah he was he, just I think like he played him really fantastic well. he really did like charismatic without being able to talk it reminded me strangely enough super tangential comment but the setup of mandalorian um even though it wasn't specifically someone not being able to talk because the main character was mandalorian but the other character was baby yoda and both had the thing that the other one didn't have to make the pairing work. Baby Yoda couldn't talk. Mandalorian could. We couldn't see Pedro Pascal in the Mandalorian helmet, but we could read emotion and different things from Baby Yoda. So together in scenes, they worked. Whereas Tony, even though he's deaf, there are some deaf people who can speak, but Tony could not. But he was very emotive, very charismatic, Whoever this actor is, I haven't like looked him up, but like I just loved seeing him on the screen because even though like he was signing, there was a lot of like subtitling and stuff like that. Even when he wasn't writing down what he was trying to say, it was almost like I understood him and I could see him in the moment conveying how he felt. It was just so good, so good. Uh, I I did look him up. I don't remember his name now. I forgot to write it down. <laughs> um, he he hasn't been in much, but he is like actually partially deaf. Oh wow, that that really grounds him to the character. Yeah, uh, whatever thing I was reading about him, it was either Wikipedia or IMDb says that he has like a cochlear implant to help him hear. So he's not he's not completely deaf in the way that his character Tony is. Mm-hmm. But I have no doubt that like he's he was probably so good and so charismatic in that role because that's like he knows like that's lived experience for him. Right. Like he knows how to emote with his body when he's not talking Mm -hmm. like that's his the way he has lived his life yeah also just like uh, you you see it in like a few points here but just like great showing of like intersectionality here in this episode about how like tony being looked down on by other gay men because he's deaf yeah and just like him needing to find his own sub community within the already marginalized gay community yeah three times over so you have the group of gay men who's you know a sub sub community of people then you have that divided into pretty much even though they don't explicitly say it 
kind of like white and other or white and black. And then within that, you have the deaf. So it was interesting. And I always remembered thinking about this whenever we do kind of like through the media that we watch, we never see um, people of color, specifically black people dealing with like deafness and how their families are able to not overcome it, but thrive with, you know, beyond this limitation that they might have for the greater, you know, um, I guess, uh, connection to society. And I thought the way his mother and his family handled it was so good. I'm like, wow, I've never really seen this kind of shown on a TV show before where they just like take it and run. It was fucking beautiful. I loved it. It was good. Part of me thinks that maybe this is just because I, I am watching this in two parts, but also I think it's because this episode was so good. Um, I remember at the at the end of our previous session, after I'd watched the first half, I was kind of feeling my my interest waning. Like, I was kind of like, oh, you know, it's, it started strong, but I was like, I was getting less interested as it went on. This this is like a big renewal. It's like a, 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 okay. a re- renewal of my interest. I was like, okay, yeah. I'm getting right back into this. Mm-hmm. So can you share real quick, like, what were some of the, the main points that kind of made you wane before this point? I felt like things were starting to drag a little bit, or I was getting mm-hmm. the sense that it was going to get there. There is a teensy bit of this, even in these upcoming episodes. I have one or two things for these upcoming episodes where I note, like, oh, this one particular scene takes too long. And, you know, I, I get that it's for, like, the suspense and the drama. Oh, even in this episode, the liver-eating scene. That went on for too long. Yeah, I will agree. Because, I mean, are they trying to fake us out and say it's not a liver? We know it is. I understand the point of drawing things out for suspense and for drama. Like I understand the, the building of a suspenseful atmosphere, but you can go too long with that. That's always a fine line. And mm-hmm. I think at a lot of different points, this show airs too long on the side of drawing things out and trying to build tension. Mm-hmm. And if you try and build tension for too long with that one technique, it ends up deflating tension because you sort of hit a peak and then the audience, or at least me, like I'm tired of seeing this. So like, mm-hmm. Like for that liver eating scene, I was like, I was hitting 10 seconds ahead. Like after a while, I was like, no, I'm. Oh, I'm wow. Yeah, I was like, no, I'm fucking done. Like, I know what's going to happen. Let's get to the next part. I'm bored. Yeah, I understand. I feel the same way, too. I think I'm not sure. I think we might have talked about it before who the director is. But I think when you have that tool of the suspense, like the king of suspense was Alfred Hitchcock. They always say mm-hmm. as far as movies. And I don't know why people don't lean more to just understanding what the classical things did right and why they're they're classics. Because I really will agree. Like, I think it happens a lot. And the fact that we're dealing with a person, because this is a a show, I'll say character, dealing with this character, um, they use it so much that they they forget that it's just being overused or they don't use it properly. Like, I think that is a tool, this suspense thing. And I feel like they could have done it better. Because, I mean, we whatever you want to chop the scene up to be, it could have just been like, you know, kind of surprise us because we've seen almost everything that we're going to see up to this point. Like, we know it's going to happen. Yeah, so, I mean, especially at this point. Give us, give us something different. This yeah. is episode six. We have already seen so yeah. much. Mm-hmm. Like, comparatively, that's fucking tame. We've already seen him eating people, I think. We have. We've seen him bludgeon somebody. We've seen him do the sneaky slip something in your drink. So I think they should have yeah, you know, just, went to the drawing board. But... Exactly. Just like... T- Particularly the first time any of those come up, I understand really wanting to do a lingering shot. The very first time Dahmer slips a Mickey into someone's drink, that's the time to really linger on it. But you don't need to linger that long every goddamn time. Because this episode is like the fourth time that he's... And he doesn't... I mean, he doesn't end up doing it, but like the fourth time he pulls those pills out. Nail on the head, though. So I think the... I'm going to say the director is trying to tease us into expecting what he's going to do. And because we're getting this buildup of Jeffrey Dahmer see something in Tony that makes him different. And so there we have this juxtaposition where they're not the same and they are very different, black and white, hearing, um, hearing impaired, um, someone who can speak and communicate well, someone who has issues with it, but they both are struggling on their ends. And I think he appreciates Tony in a way that he doesn't get to show his appreciation to other people and they connect over it. But I think these moments could have been used better because we're see- we get to see him struggle not to act out like he would normally towards someone else, which is great. But the teasing, like you said, like I've atrophied from this already. Like I think I'm waiting for it to happen because you you've taken us through five episodes 
of things where this is the sequence. It's like making a sandwich. You get your two slices of bread, you get your meat and you slap them together. We, we've seen that. Well, not to mention, especially, the you know, in particular, because of the overall story structure that they picked, you know, because they chose to go with the arrest in the very first episode. I, we talked about this some last time that, like, I liked it. I thought it was a bold choice to, like, just sort of get it out of the way of, like, hey, we know this happens. But if that's the approach that you're going to take, you kind of got to stick with it. We know who Dahmer is. We know what he does. If you're if you're going to do that right off the bat and show your whole hand and show to the audience that, like, yeah, we also know, then just stick with that and don't try and, like, draw out these will he, won't he sort of moments. Because yeah. we already know. We already know. You're right, because I think this this type of storytelling is really difficult. It's so out of sequence. So, a couple other quick notes to hit on episode six, and then we'll move on. Do it in the shop with the sign language. Loved it. Loved him. Loved that moment. Me too. It was, that was amazing. Great. Then when Tony is having dinner with his family and his sister says that she's pregnant, and then says, "I want to name him after you." Um, awesome. I I teared up right Did then. You? Yeah, I know, that was right? I was so emotionally. I was I was tearing up at that moment. That was so sweet. I know. Um, then. Later on, when Tony and Dahmer are flirting, and Tony gives him the little note that says "Earn me," just my fucking heart. Like I just, I just want to protect this boy. <laughs> He's so precious. I know for like maybe for like a millisecond, I almost wanted it to be just about them without any murder and craziness. I wanted to see Dahmer just be happy for this episode because it, I, I was trying to remember. I don't think we got to see him have a scene with somebody where he is lovingly and uh, affectionate with them having this moment, it's tender moment without, without any drugs, Mm -hmm. without bludgeoning and killing somebody, because I I don't think we've seen him sleep with somebody before. Like he went to bed with Tony and woke up with Tony and at that point didn't kill him. So that's what I'm kind of referencing. Like I just wanted to see, and I think it was the way that he looked at Tony I don't know if it was when he gave him like that little lunch they had when he gave him that little paper that said earn me or if it was another time where they ate together. But Dahmer, it was something that went off in Dahmer's head where like he was like, oh, my God, like I can, you know, maybe be myself with you or I can, you know, it was something that I can't remember. I should have wrote it down, but it was something that Tony said to Dahmer. It was almost like, you know, you can trust me or whatever. And it really opened him up and you could see. Oh, that was when after they had woken up and. Tony was getting ready to go to work. And then Dahmer was like, when will I see you again? He said, I'll be here next week. And then Dahmer was like, how do I know? And then Tony said, trust. I know. And that that to me was like, see, that was the edging that I needed because we know at least how I'm reading the scene. Dahmer has some type of asphyxiation, not fixation, but fixation or um, abandonment issue. And it felt like the moment Tony said I was leaving, we could see Dahmer's wheels turning on like how I'm going to bash him in his head and, and make his body physically stay here. Yep. But when Tony kind of broke that wall and said like, you, you have to trust me. And he put his hand on his chest and I'm like, there's something going on here because Dahmer let him go. He would, obviously we could see he wanted to stop him, but he let him go. Yeah. That's this episode is like the one time in this whole series that we see him kind of like, really resisting his his whatever his disorder is yeah his urges yeah when tony is doing his modeling shit and he does the the lean forward with the finger on the cheek that pose oh my god he looks so good like this dude fucking knows how to work the camera tony is a, he, whoever the actor is he's a good looking guy but tony's body was great i was like who is like out of all the people he just seemed like the most realistic but also like somebody who i think i would know in real life because Mm -hmm. of the way he came across personality wise i didn't expect the modeling thing when i was watching it the first time so i'm thinking he looks like a big guy you know he might be you know like a normal person not like cut up or anything when he took his shirt like oh my god what is he has he always been a model like look he was made for this whatever he was going for yeah (laughs) that that guy needs more fucking work i need to see him in more stuff Mm -hmm. I loved uh, Mama Hughes talking, oh. speaking up against her pastor. That moment, that was so good. Yeah, that was really good. Okay, and then my final two serial killer tips. These are the last two oh that gosh. I have written in here. Carl's serial killer tips. <laughs> I'm just saying. So for, 
first serial killer tip. Uh, hey, when your place looks nicer and doesn't stink, it's way less suspicious. Fucking keep it clean all the other times. Mm-hmm. Which reminds me, before you give your other tip, how in the heck can he stomach the smell? If it's so strong, when they were going into Glinda's apartment and she could smell it and almost pass, how was he able to stomach it in the apartment? He is eating these people, so maybe it kind of hits him different. Wow. Like, I just... I don't know. Like, I, I don't know. Like, he might just not have the same nausea factor, because if it's... Yeah. If it's the same part of his brain that was, like, sexually aroused by messing with the fish guts, then, like, it, that might be a wires cross sort of thing. He might like it. <laughs> nice way to put it. <laughs> wires crossed. Because, I mean, every time somebody would go to her um, vent in her apartment and mm-hmm. even walk up to it, they almost want to take a step back. And I'm like, whoa. Anyway, but what was your other tip? Your your uh, serial killer tip. Final, Carl's final serial killer tip. Don't call from your own fucking phone line. If you're gonna make mysterious phone calls to the families of your victims, make it at, go go to a goddamn payphone. Those still exist at this time. Don't they do. call it from your own phone line that can be traced, you idiots. This makes me wonder if this was like, someone doing a period piece knowing that people of that time might have done something this dumb because he's calling one of his like you said one of his past victims families after and so this is where it gets a little bit you know sticky with the storytelling because we see him in this particular scene go to where tony's mother is holding like a town gathering about his missing about him being missing so he gives money to raise for you know helping find tony and then that then sets off this thing in him where he wants to start calling i guess he has remorse for these people who have gone missing so we know tony's missing but we're also seeing this particular episode where the lead up of him meeting tony and they have a relationship before he kills him but the other guy i forgot his name errol. He calls his his sister care yeah what's his name again errol errol and so it was weird because I thought, well, when she was asking who he was and then he hung up, I thought, was Star 6 9 not a thing? Like, yeah, that's what I was literally, it's just like, just fucking redial, right? Like, uh, like, what's going on? Like, I guess it didn't pop up until the 90s? Okay. <laughs> I don't know. It's just, and, you know, obviously, like, some portions of this are historical record. So, like, I don't know, maybe maybe this is a real thing that he did and they just couldn't trace at the time or whatever, but just, you know, mm-hmm. these things bug me. Just like, if you're gonna be evil, fucking do it right. Yeah. He is very haphazardly, I guess, evil. Yeah, it's just so fucking, he's messy. He is he, a messy yes. bitch. Uh, he's not evil, he's a messy bitch. <laughs> <laughs> I love it, Carl. <laughs> he is, he is, he really is. Um, Episode 7. I don't have many notes. I'm just going to go over these real quick. Okay. Niecy Nash is still a highlight. She is great throughout this entire episode. Her performance is just fucking amazing at every turn. Telling you, we need to see her name at least, like, nominated for an award. Because she's good. Her and Angela Bassett for uh, Black Panther 2. These are good roles that they're playing. And Niecy Nash, like, I don't know, not to interrupt you, but I don't know if some actors are picked because the character that they're playing is so close to kind of like how they are, or they're just able to hit the nail on the head. But Nisi really nailed this in a way to where it wasn't until later on she mentioned that her character's from Mississippi. And then I heard her kind of pour on like this Mississippi style accent. But before Mm -hmm. that, I'm like, she's killing this character. Like, I don't know where she's drawn up all this. Like even her crying moments are kind of like real to me. Like I can really envision, like envision this character in real life. Like I know this woman somewhere. Mm -hmm. So anyway, I can that. Uh, Wikipedia says she's from California. The the character? No, the actress, Niecy Nash. Oh, Niecy Nash. Wow, I can I can see that. Yeah, I can see that. The the dude that they got to play Jesse Jackson. Goddamn, he looks like Jesse Jackson. And he was a good Jesse Jackson. Like this isn't like the Jesse Jackson of like ten years ago, who was like almost like a different version of. Um, What's his face? The uh, trainer for Mike Tyson. What's his name? Uh, oh, crazy Don hair. King. Don yeah, King. like sometimes I used to feel like I would almost mix them up because of how they would just talk on camera. But this was like... The... Are you? Hold on. Are you thinking of Al Sharpton? I'm thinking of Al Sharpton, but I'm looking at... The... 
<laughs> I'm also thinking about Al Sharpton. Yes, I am. It's funny how you knew that too. Because <laughs> um, well, when, when you say Don King, then I'm thinking Cassie Jackson doesn't run. Oh, but he does remind me of Al Sharpton. That's right. <laughs> Our minds were were there, but. Um, I like the fact that this Jesse Jackson was so gathered, like, together and just so... It was interesting. Like, obviously, this was a written character. Like, they didn't... I don't think they went and, like, talked to him about this. But it was just so good. It felt like I can feel he was coming off the heels of the civil rights movement. Like, I could feel that energy from how he would speak to people. And it was so... It was mm-hmm. it was spot on. It was good. When... Jesse Jackson is in the meeting with the mayor and the chief of police and they're having their little sit down. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's just one line I want to call out where the chief of police, he's running down like this is happening. That's happening. At one point he says, our cops are getting rocks thrown at them. Good. Good. <laughs> <laughs> Jesse Jackson could have like put his fingers together and said, play me the smallest violin. If you could, no one cares. Fucking quit if you don't want rocks thrown at you. My fucking God. quit. People are getting <laughs> eaten and you're not even bothering to follow up on calls and rocks are the comparison. We we see this more in like the next couple episodes with like the contrast between what's happening with the cops and what's happening with like everyone else. Um just you know, they, they actually the series did a real real good job of, you know, not falling into the trap of like portraying the police as the heroes. Because that's that's something that happens in like a lot of true crime stuff you know where it's like oh the cops are doing everything they can they're heroes they're trying their best and you know kind of not focusing on all the all of the many times that they fuck up in these sorts of cases right and you know what to just piggyback on that i will say that this was um a conversation had amongst screenwriters about all of the show cop shows specifically and nisi nash is in one of those cop shows by the way it's a new cop show that she's in I forget what it's called. Oh, but, um, something new. I thought we were talking about Reno 911. Yeah, I, I was going to say, like, it's not that one. It's a new one where uh, it'll come to me later. But basically, they were saying they want to see more shows where cops aren't depicted as the heroes. And I think there is this um, contention or there is discourse about, well, not all cops. And it's like, well, no one's saying all cops, but it's, it's, it's a good amount. And I think this was a very good example of how the cops themselves weren't doing something to people. It was their lack of help for the people. And that to me is a good way of like, we're not going to like flat out villainize every single cop. We're just showing how two cops or however many cops it was within this, you know, series chose to turn the other cheek or chose not to follow up. And that is also bad. Like as we can see nowadays, it's not the people who are enacting violence all the time it's the people who turn the blind eye that keep it going so mm-hmm. this is a very it's a very good layered example of how not all are villains there were pr- plenty of cops in that precinct that we got to see but those two were the dirtbags we focused on and it was their negligence and their oversight and they're just like you know whatever whenever someone called like Nisi Nash specifically because she called a lot a lot mm-hmm. they, they almost knew her by her name so they're probably and they're just they're dismissing her as like oh this you know this crazy old woman calling all yeah. the time dismissive is the right word i was looking for but yeah like i think this is almost like this is how i'd want to see cop shows moving forward where they address the negligence of cops it's not always someone getting beaten to death all the time sometimes it's things just like this where they it's allow things straight to happen. not giving a shit yeah and just and just like being juvenile dicks like when they're calling the uh the laotian father and they're saying racist, racist shit to him over the phone. It's like, oh my yeah, gosh. That's, meeting, but that's still fucking awful. And it's just like, but it's like they're fucking, they're just like children who never grew up. Yeah. They never had, they never had to enter the real world. They got to be cops. And so like, oh, we still get to have power over you. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's like they're fucking high school kids. Like grow the fuck up, man. Yeah. Like really immature high school kids that just kept that same frame of mind and never entered into a world where everybody should be equal. Everything, to them, everything is just how they want it to be. And you're just yeah. visiting. Wow. Like, just like you said. Entitlement. Entitlement. Entitlement to the T. Like, the stuff that they were saying to the Laotian man and his family, it was insane. I'm like, wow, I forgot, like, racist stuff would go on like this and nobody would bat a lash. Jesus. Yep. All right. So, episode eight. Man, just ev- every time the... um 
the mom and the dad see each other it just it's just such a reminder of how completely fucking dysfunctional they are that like at no point whenever they're together can they ever like calm down for one goddamn second you know mm-hmm. also like so i'm not a big fan of prisons as a general concept but in this specific case i'm glad that uh insanity was not used as a white boy loophole for Dahmer. Tell me about it. Like this, it's so interesting how you get to see different people in similar situations have different outcomes. And we got to see earlier on how a judge literally said, you know what, son, you remind me of my nephew or my son or whatever he said. And I think I'm not going to let this, you know, situation mess up the rest of your life because you know my son got a car wash or whatever it was and i'm like wait a minute so you get to sit here and kind of like handpick who you want to not go to jail for blatant murder and rape and pedophilia and so i'm like sitting here thinking to myself they're gonna concoct this i have copious notes about the father you know he's probably one of my favorite characters of the show just for reasons about seeing a man of a certain time who's not very emotional and not very, um, I guess, comforting. I'm trying to find the word, but he doesn't show love and affection the same way, but I can feel the love he has for his son. And this is one of those moments where he was suggesting anything he could to help Jeffrey, and he's still trying to reckon with the monster that Jeffrey is. And I thought, wow, they're really doing this because... He's trying to figure out, did he do this? And he, we're still seeing him struggle with that on screen. Then whoever this little sleazy lawyer guy is, he's like, you know, it looked like the father knew more about that case of whoever that man was they were using for an example of getting off, like mm-hmm. the one where he, I guess, slipped people up from groin to sternum. And I don't know if did you remember that story. And the dad is the one who jumps in correcting the lawyer with the date. I know. And I was like, wow, did he do his research? So it just it just showed me like so much about how they are ready to get him off no matter how bad. But really, looking back, it seemed like this was a collection of things that has happened. And the father and Jeffrey, they both always have like this. What the hell did you do? Why did you do it? And once we once they get past that, he's on to try to like pretty much not forgive Jeffrey, but give him some type of like new lease on life so to speak instead of really having to answer for the consequences because yeah. at this point there should be no escape but there he's still looking for one if only the dad could extend some of that same grace to his ex-wife oh my god sometimes some of the it's not funny in like the haha sense but him and the wife on the screen together just doing their thing it is something to watch something to behold it's hard to watch. I, I, it looks like it's real. Yeah. It's to, it's, you know, I can watch, I can watch a man getting murdered, but two people sniping at each other. That's hard to watch. Yeah. Cause I mean, the way she will snap at him, the way he, cause you wouldn't think he has a big enough hand in it. Like you think she's the aggressor all the time, but honestly, he's just as aggressive as she is. So he's just as culpable as what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. These are like, this is such a, I think I, I mentioned this in our previous episode. This is like, you know, are you, are you at all familiar with um, uh, the Am I the Asshole subreddit? No. Okay, so it's a subreddit where people go on and like they explain their, like a scenario. And then they ask the community, like, am I the asshole in this situation? Okay. And so that, you know, there's like a couple different responses and the responses are sort of like automatically tallied into a vote to get like a community read on the situation. And so one of the regular responses is everyone sucks here, meaning there there are no winners in the situation. Everybody that you have described, including yourself, is terrible. And like <laughs> that is that is a situation. Both of these people are just they are both, both so like fundamentally dysfunctional. Mm-hmm. And they just they neither of them can stop for one goddamn minute. It's sad because you would think like, is the father beaten on her? He doesn't. Is he beating on Jeffrey or the other son who we hardly see? No, he's not. It's just him always being gone is the initial like inciting event to me. He's always absent and he's not there for her. And therefore she needs help because she's like, I don't know what she's got going on, but clearly she was taking a lot of pills. She has mental illness. We heard in that other episode, she had um, 
postpartum depression. Right, postpartum depression. So yeah, it's, she, they're a cocktail for just some horrific relate like marriage, horrible yeah, marriage. Yeah. And there's, I mean, I, I didn't get the sense of whether or not this is something that was actually happened, but there were certainly the accusations of cheating. Oh yeah, you're right. Um, she and she said it. Yeah, she she said it. It was never super duper clear to me whether or not that is something that she was accusing him of or something that he was actually doing. Mm-hmm. But that was certainly there too. Yeah. Oh, and then speaking of the mother, so um, you you remember when she went to the other family's house to ask them to say something about Jeff? Yeah. So this was kind of interesting watching the second uh, round because she never really, I guess, connected with Jeffrey. And going to the trials, she almost seemed like she, I won't say she didn't care. I just, I couldn't peg what her connection was. Like, was she in favor of him going? Obviously she wasn't, but I was kind of lost. But when I seen her doing the footwork to try to like make things right, I'm like, oh, like she does love him. Because I didn't really see that conveyed in any of the scenes that she had with Jeffrey. It's almost like she felt as though he was a freak earlier on. And the father was trying to connect with him. So I'm like, oh, like, this is almost one of those situations where the parent loves the child, but they don't show it. Like, they're going behind the scenes trying to, like, figure out how they can make it right. And I'm like, this is interesting. So it made me like her character more, honestly. My only note for this scene is, all caps, the audacity. That's what the the family member, the woman literally said, like, I feel for you, Miss Summer, but... I don't know if she used the word audacity, but that's exactly what she should have said. Like, yeah, like, like wait a minute, you want us to vouch for him? Yeah, that was the the family's reaction. That as soon as I saw her going up and like talking to the family, that was my reaction. Like, mm-hmm. fucking leave these people alone. And then I think even in that moment, I was still kind of like slightly tussling with, well, what would I have done in in her shoes? Because she's not right upstairs anyway. And that's probably all she can think to do. And really thinking back to what she's good at, she works at a shelter for women or something like that. So she's Mm -hmm. good at talking to people. Like, I don't know what's going on with her, but the disconnect with her family is bad. But talking to other troubled and women with issues, she's good at it. So I thought, well, this is her advocacy for her son. But given the circumstances, madam, I'm sorry. (laughs) Yeah, like your I, child I ate it. my child. I don't know how I can help you. I get why she does that, you know, given that that is her position. Like her, right. the the through line of her actions, like this is the thing that I need to do, makes sense. But like my emotional reaction is like, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah, because I was away from those people thrown off of the porch. But they, I think, all of the families were really shown as being reasonable. They were, they except were. for this one scene where one of the sisters comes to, when they were reading their letters to Oh Jeffrey. my god, that's my next note. Uh, that, is, that is the next note here. Uh, oh my god, it was so good. Oh, go ahead. I'll let you share yours because for me, I think I just like raw emotional scenes that aren't like super dumb and cheesy. Like when I'm believing the person, I love it. See, I was kind of I was kind of thrown off by that bit. I had I wrote here that uh, I thought it was a little tonally out of place, given the way that everyone else was reacting. Do you? Yeah, I think it was placed well because there have been movies that have done this before. This is not new, but it's almost like if the audience is like just sitting there, like enjoying or resting or sleeping. I would say this one wakes you up mm-hmm. because I was expecting there was a white guy that came on and I was like, I wanted them to kind of name the person that they lost. So I can kind of keep track of like where we are in the story. They didn't do that. But after him, and then I don't know if she came in after this white guy, but when she just came in the courtroom, you know, I'm like, Oh shit. (laughs) This is about to go down. Cause like she fucking slams the door when she comes in. Yeah. And then she's got like, she, I mean, she comes in like a bull and she's got this shirt on that says like 100% black. I'm like, uh-oh, we're about to get it. Because when you see somebody from the 80s like doing this black empowerment stuff, I'm like, all right. And then she gets up there and, you know, she's a little bit less um, professional or um, there's not a lot of decorum to how she's addressing Jeffrey like everyone else was. But as she gets into it, I'm like, I feel 
that because when you come from big, big or big ish families, you know, kind of how what the baby child means to this person or the middle and all that stuff. And so she didn't really speak from like how you took this person from me. It's how you took this person from my mother. And that is a very like black thing to like go to bat for someone because of what someone's done to them, just disregarding how it makes you feel. And when she goes off into the rage and the screaming, I'm thinking, are there going to be bailiffs coming to like (laughs) beat her down? Because don't forget, this is 1980s in America. But no, they came to like restrain her. But I think it was done in a way to where I feel as though I can see that having happened like there's someone who's so mad that you get to sit there almost comfortable and not look at us and i think that was the 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 lasting note look at me look at me jeffrey and he doesn't look at her because for whatever it's shame whatever but when someone doesn't look at you it denotes that they're too good to be bothered to look at you Mm -hmm. and i think that was a part of that rage is like you have the damn nerve to kill and eat people and then sit here while you get to have us read you stories while you're sentenced to have 16 life sentences or whatever, but you're going to be fine. You're alive. The people you took from us will never get back and you can't even look at us. And I'm like, I feel that because that person that that was playing this role, it was, uh, there were moments where like, she was like flipping out, but I'm like, I, I get it. I, I, it was good. It was good. I'm Def- like, I mean, it's certainly for anybody in that situation, you get them, you get it blowing up. Like it, yeah, it, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and just like to close out that episode, um, when the dad gets the phone call, or no, when um, when this when he's type when he's writing his book, and the stepmom comes in to say that Joyce tried to kill herself, mm-hmm. and then he's like, "She's okay though." I'm like, "Okay, I'll call him," and then goes back to typing. I didn't pretty know. damn. What, what did you think? Like, I don't even know how to verbalize like how I want to assess that scene because at one point in my you know in my head i'm thinking she does come off like because she's she's tried to kill herself before let's get that out of the way so to him it's like another it's another tuesday but then i thought at this point there's so much going on you're not disturbed at all like you don't want to like he's like i'm gonna finish this book but what what are you thinking about that i think it shows a certain callousness you know and it's a part of that dysfunction that we see with his ex-wife that he's just like he's kind of just like yeah whatever yeah and you know it's the same it's the same instinct that we see in so many parts of this series to just like tuck away emotional stuff that's it the book is like a thing to do and then he gets this news and then he's he's he quickly reaches the conclusion like okay she's okay and in asking that question what he's really saying is there's nothing that i need to do mm-hmm. like my my actions here are done and then confirm that is the case. Okay, I'm going to move on to this other thing to do. Like, no desire or even ability to, like, sit or deal with something emotional. And it echoes through all of them because she copes with things through pills and drugs. Jeffrey coped with things by being very withdrawn and going into this obscure obsession about things. And the father did it by simply not being there. And then now he has the book. So this is a recurrent thing with them. Is the mom coping with drugs? I thought it, it seemed like she was like prescribed all that stuff. Um, like that's stuff that she was supposed to have, right? I Well, I guess thinking back, maybe it was, but I think the father had alluded to her like mixing things. Like I'm sure that she probably, because he had, he think he literally said she was taking more than what she was supposed to. So for instance, she might've had a three month mm. supply. She took it in a month. So there were some, you know, subscribed drugs, but she was abusing them. Okay, okay. Um, all right, so then episode nine. I thought it was pretty interesting that they decided to show Dahmer in prison. I figured at this point we wouldn't be seeing Dahmer anymore. But um, yeah. it's interesting to see him, like, in prison and getting these fucking weird letters from all the creepy people. See, and this is the part where after I watched it the first time, um, my cousin alluded to what we'll get to later is how he got killed in prison and the reason he got killed in prison is pretty much what this episode is like building you up on like he is getting this rise from the outreach of people appreciating him as like this figure 
and he started to really he just really enjoyed the fandom so much to where he he got worse like he was like he did with the chicken wing and the i guess ketchup and you know kind of mimicking how he was eating people the prisoners there with him felt that was just so out of place like people who were in prison already thought that was too much and he kept doing it so when you read the real articles that one gentleman that said you know son or boy or whatever it was i I don't like this like that character but the real person in real life is the one who kills him it was something that happened over a longer period of time and it's because jeffrey kept doing those things and almost teasing other people so i was like yeah just like you said i wanted to not see him so much because i enjoyed the tony the glenda i wanted to see some more but I'm like, can we not do Jeffrey? But I think they were trying to wrap it up because this is like, this is where we, we're going to kill him. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So this this comes up both in this episode and the last mm-hmm. episode, and I think maybe even in the previous episode a little bit too. But just every single time that in this show someone brings up any of the Dahmer like memorabilia or media that's happening, like the comic book or the book or the movie, there's like. There's this real undercurrent of the show condemning media that portrays Dahmer. And it's like, come on. Yeah. You know, if you're doing a show about him, <laughs> you don't, that's not a high horse you get to be sit upon. I agree that the people making that comic book suck. Like, I agree with you, but. I don't think you're the people that get to make that point. TV show about Jeffrey Dahmer, especially when you tout yourself as being the the specific series that upholds the victims, which we didn't get until six and seven. But what I was going to say is, they did say it was a Weird Tales, which we covered a Weird Tales in our other podcast. So I don't know if a comic book that I would have to have seen it, but the commentary on you know, parading him around, it, it's not always bad on his head. There can be commentary in the media. It's just people don't always have the chops to know how to assess what it is they're seeing or reading or digesting from the media to know that it's a critique or a commentary. Yeah, I was I was thinking specifically of the, the Dahmer versus Jesus comic. Oh, I didn't see that. Well, yeah, that's right. They did talk about that one, right? The, the other thing that was like the, you know, the unofficial biography of Dahmer and it had like a gory picture on the mm-hmm. front true the the thing that the girl sent him where it's like these are just looking at those bits that we see it's pretty clear that those are you know trying to cash in on like the gore factor you're right yeah there is certainly a place for media that critiques Dahmer and you know this this show has its flaws but it it has done some good things about critiquing you know I, I would say probably the highlight of this show for me has not been its ability to talk about the victims but its ability to talk about how the police bungled the case. Like that's, that is the part in here that is like critique that I would say they got right. Yeah. But it's still just, it feels, it feels weird. It feels hypocritical for the TV show. It's it's just finger wagging, but the, the thumb is pointing back, so to speak. Like, come on, don't finger wag. The Laotian kids dream sequence was fucking intense. I love that bit. That was really cool. Mm Hmm. And the scene where we're seeing the parallel awards, the big police gala to give these fucking dipshit officers the police officer of the year award from the union versus the the chief giving um, Glenda the like the citizens, whatever it was, like citizen merit award, whatever. Just the contrast of those two things of like this little rinky dinky award for Glenda and like this big police ball for these two. God, just goddamn fucking just walking trash heaps yeah like i can't wow like i just can't even wrap my head around how terrible they are and it's just so strange that they just get upheld the way they did like i really in that scene where they told the chief we'll be here longer than you will be i'm like i really want to see the chief turn it around to where like he gets them kicked off or fired from the squad or whatever that would be nice but that's i don't think that's what happened Yeah, Yeah. truly, I hate them more than Dahmer. Dahmer at (laughs) least had some kind of fucking excuse. At least he was, like, sick in the head, Mm -hmm. you know? Like, at least there was something medically fucked up with him. These two, they're just assholes. At least Dahmer wanted the death penalty. Like, he wanted to be punished for what he did. Those police wanted to keep working. The contrast in that sequence is excellent storytelling. Mm -hmm. Loved it. 
Glenda showing up at Conorak's funeral and talking with the dad, that also that also made me cry. That was such a I know great intense scene. It's another moment where Niecy Nash just like really she knows how to hone in on connecting with other people. And even though the Laotian man couldn't speak English, it was just such like a, a really just a really good all around scene for this type of, you know, series. I was interested in that. Like she she did a good job. Fucking big ups to the guy who bought all of Dahmer's shit and then said bury it. Love that guy. Yeah. Because like you said, they were trying to cash in on just like the character of him, like Halloween costumes and comics. I couldn't imagine if they'd have got their hands on like all these little like items that he had going on. And uh, Ron at the very end of that episode, my man, fucking it was great to see him just like living and doing well and helping someone. Mm-hmm. I love the, the scene with him uh, counseling the other guy who, who got HIV. Yeah, it was a really good scene. Uh, last episode. And, you know, in this episode, we really just, we really see, this this final episode really drove home for me the unconditional love that the dad has for Dahmer, despite how fucked up he is and, like, how he is a repressed, dysfunctional human being. Mm-hmm. there when he is in the phone call and Dahmer is asking him for forgiveness and he's like I will I do I have because you're my son like that's that's some real shit that's some real shit right there it is I think I talked about it in um, our other episode but his love for his son is just it's something that a lot of people never get in their lives from their parents because it's un- like truly unconditional like there are moments where he's blown up on uh, Jeffrey for sure, especially when he was taken into his grandmother's house and he had done, I think that was the time where he got caught with the Laotian boy, but it wasn't the murder. It was just the brother of the one he murdered. So it was like another- The molestation. The molestation. And he was super pissed at Jeffrey. Mm -hmm. But at the end of this series, it's almost like the father has like combed through, like he he had a breakdown. He had two. The initial breakdown when the detectives brought him in, the second one, when he was sitting with his wife, Molly Ringwald, and was just talking about, like, I think, you know, I did this. I think I had, you know, these thoughts when I was younger. I did this thing where I would try to hypnotize this girl to make her do what I like. He really went through his life and thought, my genes are in him. And because of the things I did as a younger child, that's why he's doing this. But after he got, you know, through that and worked through it, he really just came to, like, you know, to terms. And I really, I don't know how else I can explain it, but like, I really appreciated the way this guy, the actor brought this, you know, person, this character to life. Like I can see him being like this really reserved man of a certain time that is not very emotionally available. But when things like this happen, like he has these breakdowns, but he loves the hell out of his like crazy murderous molesty son. I'm telling you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. The, the wedding scene is also just fucking amazing. Every every time it's uh, Glenda and the Laotian father, I just love seeing them together. They are... I know, right? <laughs> fucking, it's fucking beautiful. And then we get to the very end where Dahmer is, is fucking murdered by this guy. So this is the part where we should be cheering because we can sniff it. Even if you don't know a damn thing about what happened in real life, by the time we get into this cleaning scene and people get all shifty-eyed and, you know, guards have disappeared, you're like, well... We only got so many minutes. Looks like someone's about to go down. Yeah. <laughs> so what were you thinking? So was this like a it's time to wrap this up? Wrap it up. So were you like jumping for joy when he was getting, you know, his comeuppance, or were you wanting something else? Well, so I wanted to be, and I was kind of surprised that the show wasn't leaning into that more hmm. because you know Dahmer is, I mean, he's the big villain of the he's whole the fucking thing, mm-hmm. but like. I don't know, just the way that the scene was shot and the music, it didn't seem like it was trying to evoke the feeling of, like, righteous vengeance. You know, even though the the guy, he goes, he has his spiel about my god is a god of vengeance. Mm-hmm. You know, the way that it's, the way that that scene is played, it really feels like, it. Om- I don't know if, if this is really what they're trying to do, but it really felt like they were trying to make some kind of connection between Dahmer and like the audience's fear. Like they were playing, they, it felt like they were playing that scene the way that we would with a protagonist, you know? And I think that's where this series falters because like I mentioned, and I can't stop saying it when they came out with this, there was backlash because 
it is shot and done well enough to where they knew it's going to be a Netflix streaming series. It's going to get a lot of like views. People are like, well, why are we upholding this murderer? Like not even upholding him. This is like one of the second or third tellings of his story. Like, oh no, this is a story about the victims. So coming to this point, if it's about the victims, we need to really want this to happen. And I don't think the, the series built us up to want this to happen because clearly um, Peter, uh, I forgot his name, but the guy that plays him, he's done a really good job. Evan Peters. Evan Peters. I, I'm like, well, had he not been this murderous person, let's just cut out the murders and just say that he just beat on people. I would have loved him because I love Evan Peters a lot. And he does like this really weird Wisconsin accent. Like it's just, it, it just was good. It's yeah. It's so, it is enjoyable to listen. It's enjoyable to hear him talk as Don. It is. And even the weirdness, like except for the murder, like the moments where he's just like this awkward person. I loved it. It's so hard to not try and just do like imitations the entire time. Yeah. <laughs> I did a couple of them last episode. It's so hard to not just try and imitate him all the fucking time. So I don't know. I know the guy that killed him, the guy that said his God is a, a God of vengeance. The real article, I think this is why they wrapped it up. I, maybe that's why they ended it the way they did. Because it took so much time in the real world that this guy was sick of Dahmer. And so I wouldn't say we needed more time of seeing him getting sick of him. But it's almost like he was an agent of relief and an agent of revenge, really. Like he was the agent of revenge that the... I guess the show wanted us to know was there because we knew he was planted there for a reason. Like this guy was just pissed. He's looking at him, lapping up all this attention. And then he, you know, sets up. Cause I think the guards in the real incident set this up. I'm not really, I can't remember if the guards were kind of like shown as doing this in the show, but either way. It, there was a guard there who sort of like definitely like walked out of the room be- right before this happened. Yeah. I don't know. Like, I feel like it was just like not a, it wasn't a very savory ending for what it was kind of trying to do from six on. I don't think that you would have had to do a whole lot different to make this be a big feeling of catharsis. Right. You know, like I think, I mean, honestly, like I think probably the soundtrack might've been one of the biggest things. Like if you had a different set of like music stings and had it be like this big swelling moment, Mm -hmm. might've felt more just like final and like, yeah, he finally got what he fucking deserved. I mean, honestly, they could have just kept with the um, the cadence of revisiting or working your way from victim to trial. Like we see the person's life and then we see, just like with Tony, like we got to see his family. So that would have put me in the mood of like, I'm really ingrained in the, what you say is about the victims. And then as far as the murderer with, with Jeffrey, that could have been something that we heard about in the movie. Like we could have just like, oh, Jeffrey was murdered in prison and then, like, gotten to see the father's reaction. Like, walk us through something else besides Jeffrey. Like, I think I would have appreciated it more had we gotten, like, maybe one more victim story mm-hmm. and then, like, the lead up to this. But it is what it is. Final thoughts about this as a whole. What do you think about this series? Like I said, I like it. I mean, I'm not advocating for the real world, real life, anything, but just as this movie, as a, a work of art, I liked it a lot. It completely faltered for what it was trying to do, but it had moments that were really genuine to the characters, genuine to the time period, and I liked it overall. Like I will I will stand by saying I like this as a, a miniseries. I think I'm in much the same boat. I'm not really much for a lot of the true crime kind of stuff, mm-hmm. but um, you know, this is something that's really elevated by its performances. I think that is really the highlight here is just like you have a lot of individual actors in here just really, really giving it their all. They like, are. just give it a fucking 150% at, like, every Evan Peters, Nisi Nash. Like, I, I keep circling back to Molly Ringwald. I, I wanted to say earlier that even in scenes with her and the father, I just enjoy watching her. Oh, when, she, when she fucking steps in to, like, try and mediate between the two of them arguing in the hall right after the yep. trial like that's oh my god i appreciated that i was like thank yep. you Th- thank god someone here is an adult because they were getting ugly outside of a courtroom yeah just like calm the fuck <laughs> down people <Get> your <laughs> shit together 
Well, unfortunately, we can't judge this on a top five or three because it's the first movie that we're reviewing. Or yeah, so right now this is the this is the only thing on the list. But uh, you know, broad strokes, I would I would say if someone is at all mildly interested, this is certainly worth a watch, specifically for the performances. Like all, I think the having now seen this, I think a lot of the people who have complaints with like this sort of glorifying Dahmer, like yeah, I think I think they have some real points here. Yeah. I can see that complaint like cropping up here and there. And it's sort of like a, it's like a thread kind of going through the whole thing. Mm -hmm. But all of my issues with this are like, you know, that sort of like composition type stuff and Mm -hmm. um, higher level choices. I think if you are someone who is interested in seeing like these really good emotional performances, this has a whole bunch packed into a relatively short time frame. They do. And if you're a fan of like, different types of storytelling maybe not linear definitely not circular well i guess it kind of is a circular out of sequence storytelling that was pretty cool they they kind of didn't do it the best way all the way through but it was an interesting take like you said the performances if you're like a film person that loves how things look the color grade i think it was color graded pretty well to kind of give you that 80s feel and i think like you said overall like it's 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 a solid oak it's it's good it's not like the best in the world if you can pull yourself away from the fact that it's about murder and the even worse part that it's kind of loosely well it's based off real life occurrences if you can pull away from that it is worth a watch and i guess 10 episodes did you feel like this was too long would you want to shorten it? A little. I don't, you know, I think I feel like this was the right amount of episodes, but the episodes were like individually too long. Yeah. Okay. Like I can't think of an episode to cut, but I think each episode has, has a fair amount of fat that could be trimmed. Yeah. Like I feel like none of these individual, I don't think any episode in this series needed to be more than like 30 minutes. I can agree with that. Like if I had to comb through it seriously and I was with the editor, I think there is an episode and a half that I would have cut out and mm-hmm. then shortened the time yeah, like as well. So cumulative. maybe it would have been like, what, like, would you say seven episodes would have been enough or what? Um, I don't know. It depends on how you're looking at it. Because the reason I say to not cut any episode entirely is because, like, I think the episodes make for good. Like, the, the story breaks are clear. Like, I can't think of any mm-hmm. of those chunks of story mm-hmm. to remove. Yeah. But each one of them can be a lot shorter. So I could definitely see an episode and a half of, like, cumulative material Mm -hmm. getting taken away i think in that scenario the series still would have been better served being multiple shorter episodes Mm -hmm. rather than keeping this current episode length and condensing it down into like seven episodes okay but then also you know if you're if you're someone who does find this kind of stuff distasteful you know totally get it makes sense and don't watch it yeah i would definitely say do not watch it if you're if you if you feel that little twinge in your stomach of like either like from a gross out factor or just like I think it's kind of like not cool that they're doing this to these people, totally makes sense. And there's I don't think there's anything in this series that would it's not so amazing. It's not so revolutionary that it's going to sway you if if you're already not inclined. Exactly. And it's not worth fighting through either because it's pretty much kind of redundant after the second or third episode of like this, you know, how it works out. Mm hmm. Overall, we're going to be whacking all these things up onto a giant list. Right now, Dahmer is the only thing on there, but as we get some more items. At some point here, I'm going to have us, not right now, but at some point, we're going to do a like a lightning round episode of just like fire off like one sentence summaries of a few things and toss them up on the list. Okay, that sounds fun. Just to populate it a little more. So, this was a season of TV. So when we're doing movies, what do you think about a double feature? Because then that's like about the same length. I think so. I wouldn't mind that at all. And I think we can... I'm glad that we did this in two parts, but I think in future we can probably do just one episode for a season of TV or two movies. I think so. And I think it's it's interesting to listen to other people review and cover series, but the behind the scenes, when you are working men like ourselves, it is kind of hard to fit it in unless you have <laughs> like a weekend. But then when you want to like review it fresh and you're recording during the week it's like well let me because I, I watched like almost the rest of the second half last night <laughs> so i was powering through I, I was i watched a bunch at work last night and then i was watching mm-hmm. some when i got up this morning so as we're doing alternate episodes jonathan this was this was your suggestion this was your pick how about we just do a complete 180 into the 
I, about as much in the other direction as I can think of from this. My Little Pony. So for, ep- <laughs> for episode two, let's do a double feature of Space Jam oh and Space God. Jam 2. How does that sound? <laughs> I haven't seen Space Jam 2. I was kind of staying away from Neither have I. I've only seen the first good. one. So we're on the same page with that as well. That's good. Okay. That's an interesting one. So a double feature. Oh, man. Because it'll make the note-taking easier and quicker, I think. The name of the show is Jonathan and Carl Watch Everything. So That's true. Gonna watch everything. That is almost a 360 because it is animated. No one's getting murdered to my understanding. (laughs) No one's getting eaten. Um, Okay. All right. Well, thank you all for joining us. And uh, we will see you again next next week with uh, Space Jam and Space Jam 2. I think the new legacy. I I forget. It's got some kind of fucking subtitle. Michael Jordan and LeBron James. We got it. All right. Talk to you then, folks. Bye-bye. Bye.